0: Let's now open God's holy word together. And this afternoon, we'd like to begin in the prophet Amos, Amos chapter 9. You can find that on page 1064. In our text for this afternoon, we're going to be seeing our Lord Jesus Christ producing an abundance of wine, and so especially for the young boys and the girls among us, I'd like you to listen to see what the prophet Amos has to say about wine this afternoon. And so read just a few verses from Amos 9. Amos 9, we'll read verses 11 through 15. This is the word of our God. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up. From the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. And let's then turn ahead to the Gospel of John, John chapter 2. John 2 is on page 1222. And this will be our text for this afternoon, the verses 1 through 11. So John 2, verse 1, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the wine that was made wine, and his disciples believed in him." So far, our reading from the Gospel of John. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one of the things which is wonderful about the Gospel of John is that he's very upfront about both the contents and the purpose of his gospel. We know well the words that we find in John chapter 1. John says in, in 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you look down again at verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says there, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So from the very beginning, John is telling us that his gospel is about the word of God. The word of God who became flesh, Jesus Christ, and revealed his glory. And John does a similar thing at the end of his gospel. If you turn to chapter 20, we read there in verse 30 that John gives us also the purpose of his gospel. In John 20, verse 30, we read, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so if chapter 1 told us something of the content of his gospel... And here in chapter 20, John is a bit of a summary. He gives us the purpose of the gospel. Why has he written this book? Well, it's so that you might see the glory of Jesus Christ and might believe in his name. And so our passage from chapter 2 this morning, it records one of the first signs that Jesus did. And this is a sign which is meant to show us the glory of Jesus the sign that's meant to make us believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of his people, that by believing we might have life in his name. And so our theme for this afternoon is this, Jesus reveals his glory through the wine that we might believe in him. Now the groom who hosted this wedding, it would have been a huge embarrassment for him to run out of wine. He was meant to be responsible for supplying enough wine for what would have been a multi-day wedding feast. And so we see Jesus' mother, Mary, she's there as well, and she's quite sensitive to this fact. And so she goes to Jesus, and she says, look, they've run out of wine. Now we have to understand from the beginning that Jesus' mother, Mary, probably wasn't expecting some sort of miraculous sign. After all, our text tells us that the sign Jesus performed at this wedding feast was the first of his signs. It's more likely that Jesus' mother Mary, by this point in her life, knew that Jesus was a resourceful and a wise young man. It seems clear at this point that the mother of Mary, Joseph, or pardon me, the the husband of Mary, Joseph, it seems that he has been out of the picture for some time, possibly dead. And so the responsibility for taking care of Mary, it would have fallen onto the shoulders of Jesus, her eldest son. And so by this time, Mary had experienced the love and care and the resourcefulness of Jesus. And when they run out of wine, then she turns to him, thinking, surely you, my dear son, can do something about this problem that they're having. And yet Jesus' response to his mother, it's a little bit surprising, isn't it? It's not exactly rude or or harsh in any way, but Jesus does seem to be putting a little bit of polite distance between himself and his mother. All throughout his youth, Jesus had been submissive to his parents. You can read about that in Luke 2, verse 51. But at this point in Jesus' life, the time for him to shift that submission entirely to the will of his heavenly Father had come. Jesus speaks here already in this text of of the hour which is coming for him, that hour when he was about to, to suffer, to die for his people. Jesus is now focused on obeying God's will which is leading him to that hour instead of fully obeying and doing everything which his mother has in mind for him. And even though Jesus' hour is not yet here, it's something which still lies in the future, that hour when his glory would be fully revealed to everybody. Now in our text this afternoon, Jesus determines it is the time for him to start manifesting something of his glory, at least to his disciples. And also for us this afternoon, just by reading this passage and having the story recounted to us, we have this kind of insider's view of this first sign of Jesus Christ. We are privileged to see The glory of Jesus Christ, which he reveals in this sign at the wedding feast of Cana. And so, this afternoon, I'd like to consider with you briefly three ways that this sign Jesus performs reveals his glory. And so, the first thing is, of course, the miracle itself. We see Jesus turning these six immense jars of water into some of the best-tasting wine around. And if you were to see how these jars are described and do a little bit of math, you'd learn that these jars could hold some 500 to even 700 liters of water. And Jesus takes it all and, and turns it all into wine. And if you were to ask yourself, who in the world is able to do something like that? Well, of course, the answer must be God. And as an Old Testament Jew, this sign would have reminded you of many signs which God had performed in the Old Testament. Signs such as turning the bitter water sweet. Signs such as feeding the people with manna from heaven for their 40 years in the wilderness. Signs like providing oil and flour that did not run out for the widow in the time of Elijah. And now here is Jesus Christ performing a sign, continuing right in the vein that his own heavenly father performed signs. And when we see Jesus Christ doing this this miracle, this wonderful sign, the only conclusion we can draw is that this this is God. This is the very word of God come in the flesh. The very very God who has shared his glory with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity. He is now walking among men and he is performing the signs of God. And of course, it's not just the vast quantity of wine, but it's also the quality of it. The master of the feast bears witness to this fact. He, He says in verse 10, to the bridegroom that everyone saves the inferior wine for later on, once people have drunk freely. But this wine that Jesus made, it's, it's wonderful. Some of the best wine. Not only has he created an immense amount of wine, but he's produced a great amount of well-aged, quality wine. This is something which would have taken the average winemaker many years to produce. Jesus does it all in an instant. And this is a good time to remind ourselves, congregation, that God can produce things instantly which might appear to have taken more time. And why is that important, you ask? Well, think of creation. Think of creation. There are those who suggest that there was some sort of theistic evolution which was necessary to bring about all the things in the world because they say God wouldn't have made things which appear to be old but aren't actually. They think that somehow this would make God into a liar, making something that appears old when it actually isn't. But we can ask the question, you know, really? Can't God create a fully formed human being in an instant? Can't he create plants and and trees and animals that appear to have been alive for longer but were created in an instant? Can't Jesus Christ produce vast amounts of wine which should have taken years in an instant? Well, he did. And it isn't a lie. It's meant to show us his glory. Glory. The wine which Jesus produces shows the glory that he has, the glory of God himself, the power, the wonder that he possesses as the one who was also there when the world was created and the one through whom the Father still continues to uphold and govern this entire world. In the wine, we see the glory of Jesus. That's the first way this miracle shows us the glory of of Christ. A second way is that it fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And we read one of those prophecies from Amos chapter 9. Amos prophesied that the day when God restored Israel would be a day of abundant wine. Think of what he said in chapter 9 verse 13. Amos speaks about the plowman overtaking the reaper the treader of grapes overtaking the one who sows the seed, and then he says, the mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. And you can imagine, for someone witnessing this miracle of Jesus Christ, knowing the Old Testament prophecy, seeing Jesus Christ produce vast amounts of wine, this day, the day which was always in the future for the prophets, when God would restore his people, was now among them, because Christ was there, and they could see his glory in the wine. Thirdly, the sign points to Jesus' glory, because it begins to point to the cleansing which our Lord Jesus Christ would bring through his own blood. Those six stone water jars and the purification rites that went along with them were meant to be a constant reminder to the Jewish people of their own uncleanness and their own impurity before a holy God. Through his servant Moses, already in the Old Testament, God had commanded certain washings, ceremonial washings, to teach the people, to remind the people that in some way they were unclean. And in some way, they were impure, that they needed cleansing. Cleansing, which was ultimately needed because of their sinfulness. But what do we see Jesus doing in our text? Well, he fills up those six stone jars. And you might have expected him to say, now go, wash yourselves thoroughly in that water. But he doesn't say that. He takes them all and turns them into wine wine, a sign of of joy, of celebration, of, of festival. Jesus is demonstrating that the time is coming when they wouldn't need that outward cleansing anymore because the people would be ultimately and totally cleansed from their sin through his own suffering and death. In the Belgian Confession, in Article 25, it speaks about the ceremonies and symbols of the law which have ceased with the coming of Christ because Christ has fulfilled them and their truth is found only in Him. Well, The same was true for those six stone water jars. They pointed to Christ and He was demonstrating that the time for them to be fulfilled had come with Him. And when the disciples of Jesus Christ see the sign that he has done, when they see his glory, they respond in the only appropriate way, don't they? It says there at the end of verse 11, very simply, and his disciples believed in him. The disciples of Jesus Christ had faith. They saw what he had done and they believed that he was the one. And that's really wonderful to think about if you consider where the disciples are at in this stage of their lives. This was the first sign that Jesus had done among them. And at this point, they really had no idea how Jesus the Messiah was going to restore Israel. They did not yet understand that Jesus had come to suffer and to die as a humble servant, that he had come to take their sins upon himself. No, they had no idea how how Christ would save his people And yet they see his glory and they believe in him. They have faith in him. And brothers and sisters, it is this very same faith which we are being called to this afternoon through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Our revelation, what we have received of the knowledge of Jesus Christ what we have seen of the glory of Jesus Christ is, is so much greater than what the disciples experienced at this wedding feast in Cana. You know they saw only a faint signal of his coming. They saw only the beginning of the glimpse of the hour that Jesus was going to bring. But we, congregation, we have seen His hour. We have seen through the pages of Scripture how the Father would fully glorify His Son through His suffering, through His death, but also through His exaltation. That wine at Cana, it was certainly wonderful. But what we have before us here this afternoon in the wine of the Lord's Supper, it is, it is so much more glorious. This wine of the Lord's Supper, together with the bread, which, which points to the outpoured blood of Christ, which points to the broken body of Christ, the suffering of Jesus Christ, which would be the thing that cleansed us from our sins. This is what we have here before us this morning, a remembrance of the glory of Jesus Christ, which he displayed in his suffering. Now, of course, in order to fully appreciate the great value and the great glory of Christ's outpoured blood and broken body, we need to acknowledge our need for it. We need to be ready to acknowledge that we are, in fact, weak and sinful human beings. And we need to be ready to acknowledge that we need cleansing from our sins. If we are going to stand before our perfectly holy God, and we need to be cleansed, we need to be purified by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we're called every Lord's Supper Sunday again to examine ourselves. This is why we read the Ten Commandments in our worship services. This is why personal confession of sin is a part of our lives. And let me just take a moment here to encourage you, congregation, in your own personal confession of sin. And if this isn't already a part of your daily Devotional routine, it should become a part of it. Examine your, your life in the light of the Ten Commandments. Use the explanation of our catechism to see the ways that we fall short of the glory which God requires. Read through the Sermon on the Mount of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 through 7 and, and see how your life compares to the perfection of which God requires, the standard of holiness, which he demands of us. And ask yourself, if you truly love God with your whole heart, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself, and this is a process that can be humbling. And at times, it's actually quite painful to learn about the sin you have in your life. But how wonderful isn't it again, congregation, to be brought to the foot of the cross and to see again the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who forgives us our sins through faith in him, a faith which believes that he has suffered in our place. Because this is exactly who the Lord's Supper is for. The Lord's Supper is for those who acknowledge their sins and weakness. The Lord's Supper is for those people who are heartily sorry for their sins. And yet who trust that God has forgiven them for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so this afternoon, God gives us this bread and this wine as a pledge, a guarantee, a sure promise that he has done exactly that that he has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. In the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, we see the glory of Jesus Christ, Jesus who suffered and died in our place, that he might cleanse us from our sins. And so, congregation, let let us cling to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us trust that we have been cleansed through his broken body and shed blood. And let us eagerly look forward to that final marriage feast of the Lamb when Christ will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his heavenly Father. Amen.